0: There comes, sometime, an end to all things, to the good and to the bad. And at last, Gordon Carruthers' first day at school, which had so combined excitement and depression as to make it unforgettable, ended also. Seldom had he felt such a supreme happiness as when he stepped out at Fenhurst Station and between his father and mother walked up the broad white road that led past the Eversham Hotel to the Great Grey Abbey that watches as a sentinel. Over the dreamy Wessex town, there are few schools in England more surrounded with the glamour of medieval days than Fernhurst, founded in the eighth century by a Saxon saint. It was the abode of monks till the dissolution of the monasteries. Then, after a short interregnum, Edward the Sixth endowed it and restored the old curriculum. The buildings are unchanged; it is true that there have sprung up new classrooms round the court, and that opposite the cloisters a huge yellow block of buildings has been erected which provides workshops and laboratories. But the abbey and the schoolhouse studies stand as they stood 700 years ago. To a boy of any imagination, such a place could not but waken a wonderful sense of the beautiful. And Gordon, gazing from the school gateway across to the grey, ivy-clad studies, was taken for a few moments clean outside himself. The next few hours only served to deepen this wonder and admiration, for Fernhurst is prodigal of associations. The schoolhouse dining hall is a magnificent oak-panelled room where generations of men have cut their names, and above the ledge on which repose the silver challenge cups the house has won is a large statue of King Edward VI, looking down on the row of tables. When he first entered the hall, Gordon pitied those in other houses immensely. It seemed to him that though in the outhouses, as they were called at Fernhurst, the eugenic machinery might be more up to date, and the method of lighting and heating far more satisfactory, yet it could not be the same there as in the schoolhouse. And he never quite freed himself of the illusion that, if the truth were known, every outhouse boy rather regretted that he had not chosen otherwise. For indeed, the bloods of other houses are very often found sitting over the fire in the schoolhouse game study. Until about six o'clock, Gordon could not have been happier. His future seemed so full of possibilities. But when his father and mother left him to catch the afternoon train back to town, and the evening train brought with it a swarm of boys in the most wonderful ties and socks, and also engrossed in their own affairs and so indifferent to his, Gordon began to feel very lonely. Supper was not till nine, and he had three hours to put in. Very disconsolately he wandered round the green slopes above the town, where was the town football ground, and where in the summer term those members of the fifteen who despised cricket would enjoy their quiet pipe and long for the rains of November. But that walk did not take long, especially as he did not dare to go out of the sight of the abbey for fear of getting lost. When he returned to the house, The court was loud with shouts and laughter. Everyone had something to do. There was the luggage to fetch from the day room. The town porter, known generally as Slimy Tim, was waiting to be tipped. Health certificates had to be produced. There was a sporting chance of finding, in Merriman's second-hand bookshop, out of bounds during term time, an English version of Virgil and Xenophon. There were a hundred things to do for everyone except Gordon, There were several other new boys, doubtless to be found among this unending stream of bowler hats, but he saw no way of discovering them. He did, it is true, make one attempt. Very bravely, he walked up to a rather bored individual who was leaning against the door that led into the studies, and asked him if he was a new boy. His reception was not friendly. The person in question was Sandham of the Lower Sixth, who had been made a house prefect and was very conscious of it and who was also well aware of the fact that he was not very tall. His friends called him the cockroach, and Gordon was told, politely, to go elsewhere. He did not, however, go where he was told, but sauntered sadly down to the matron's room, only to find it full of people, all with some complaint. Some had lost their keys, others were furious that their people should have been charged for biscuits and sultana cake that they had never had.